Welcome to Friday Weekly Wrap-Up. You know, we had some really good bitty from Sligos yesterday during class. I listened to a couple today uh, from the recording, yeah, from the recordings. Um, and, uh, yeah, some pretty good ones. Obviously, the grace notes, like, we had a lot of jumbled up grace notes all in the wrong spots. I, but, I think we could accept a tiny bit of responsibility having changed <laughs> the scores well, halfway through just, the week. Just uh, be careful how you... Who you group in this we pe- this we group of people? <laughs> hey, I had nothing to do with it, man. <laughs> so wait, I delegated it to you, and then yeah, you. No, 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 you delegated it to another person. Yeah, to Greg. <laughs> yeah, to Greg. Yeah, he's a bad person. Uh, no, but uh, um, but even in the um, even in the third part, which was typeset correctly for the most part, you know, just a lot of weird stuff. And Biddy's probably one of the hardest tunes ever. Cer- certainly one of the hardest tunes in the basic canon of hornpipes and jigs. It's mm. one of the hardest ones to get the grace notes right. Um, but well, it's also something, the more experience you have, the easier it'll be to get it right. Because the grace notes all do make sense. Uh, there's just a lot of them. Yeah. And, and they follow a pattern, right? I mean, and I think that's what you mean by the make sense. They follow a pattern. Um, and like in the fourth part, you're going you're using D grace notes to go up the scale a to C or, or, or whatnot, almost every time, any, any time you can, you know, like just, we switch around the G grace note. That's not always on the beat sometimes, which, mm-hmm. uh, makes it really musical, but you know, a great illustration of breaking the rules to make something super musical. Yes. So, uh, anyway, I thought that went really well next week. What are we doing? We're doing, uh, we're back to two, four March. We're doing the Dundee, um, Military tattoo. Something rather. Military tattoo, yeah. Yeah, that's a good tune. It That'll is. That'll be solid. Uh, so there you go. That's a brief recap of what's going on at the dojo. We have the tuning clinic this weekend. How many people here are going to the tuning clinic? I know John is. Oh, Dave is. Mike is. Uh, cool. Janet so we're is. doing that. Janet is. Uh, so we're doing that this weekend. The PowerPoint's all finished. We've never had a PowerPoint for the tuning clinic before, but now it's all finished. So that'll be good. It'll help rem- us remember what we need to say. Um, and then there'll be lots of, uh, uh, Carol said, is it too late to sign up? Good question. The answer is, I'm sure we can make it happen. If you, uh, if you email us like right now, yeah, we could probably make that happen. Support at pipersdojo.com. So, uh, Carol, we could probably make that happen for this weekend. And it's highly recommended. If you want to learn how to tune, I highly recommend it. Uh, because, um, I don't know. And we've been doing it a long time. We blow minds with this one folks. Um, so there you go. And then Sue starts it off. Andrew and Carl discuss the internet. I don't know if I can teach this topic, but she asks if Skype and zoom process audio differently. And the answer is almost certainly they do it differently. However, the concepts are probably pretty similar. So internet, audio audio over the internet is a pretty tricky thing and it's all uh it's all sort of engineered around what bottleneck like what is the big thing that internet audio has to deal with that makes it really kind of tricky to do same would go for video uh but there'd be a different technique anybody any takers well compression is what they need to do but why it all has to do with ban- the user bandwidth, right? It all has to do with the end users and what their bandwidth is able to handle on, on either end. Um, so what needs to happen is 
Now, if, if, if you and I both have really high bandwidth, the audio changes, right? The audio will be, will be sent from the computer in a higher quality and received by the other computer in a higher quality because there's enough, like, let's just say space for that all to happen. But then it gets interesting if my bandwidth is good, but yours isn't so good. What, the, what they have to do is be able to detect that and the audio will actually be uh, uh, super compressed in order for it to be uh, transmitted. Audio Not and video. Yeah, well, and then now nowadays Especially video, video too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in order for it to be transmitted uh, successfully. Now, if, if they're having issues transmitting it successfully, they'll compress it, but then they'll also have to like try to buffer it as well. And that's where you get those little everybody knows those little zoom things where like the voice breaks up and then kind of like connects to itself. Now on Skype, when that happens, it's a different phenomenon than when it happens on zoom. Like what zoom does is it like stretches out the audio that it currently has. And then uh, if you noticed that when it finally does catch up, you can still hear it all, but it happens really fast until it catches up to real time again. So that's how Zoom is handling like these bandwidth issues is they are, you know, they're, they're bending and stretching the packets of information to make it more intelligible. But what Skype tends to do is it just stops. Now I haven't been on Skype in a long time, but traditionally if there was an issue, Skype would just kind of like stop. And then when it caught up, it would just start up again, which is of course, you know, obviously neither situation is ideal but what zoom has tried to do is like make it so you can still understand what's going on because most of these are primarily designed for speech right um you'll also notice when you use a cell phone right the voice has a very specific sound to it because what they're what they're doing anytime you make a phone call is is they're compressing the audio to super small amounts of data in order to make sure that the latency uh, isn't too long and to make sure that the quality is intelligible but absolute minimum like size size of information so when sue asked there you go that's my uh, discussion of the internet there and then video is basically the same concept it's just that you're you have to send what would it be you have to send like pixel information across the internet which is also heavily compressed in its own special way yeah. Yeah. So the tuning clinic is a, uh, it used to be an in-person event, but due to COVID we're doing it online. Uh, but yeah, it's an add on. It's not included in the premium. I think the price is two ninety nine. Is that right, Carl? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, will it be the best two ninety nine you ever spent? I'm trying to think of other ways you, you could spend two hundred ninety nine. You could go to Vegas. You could gamble it away. That no, you're you're trying to find better ways to spend two ninety nine, oh, yeah, yeah. and I, I can't. Mike, way better than the African Blackwood Chanter. Way better. Way, way, way. And better. and I mean, does that even buy you an African Blackwood Chanter? Not not a pipe Chanter. Oh yeah. Or if it if it does, I mean, ooh. What suspect. do you want? <laughs> Let me ask you. What do you want? Do you want an African Blackwood Chanter that's out of tune for the rest of your life, or do you want a, a Polypinko Chanter that's beautifully tuned forever? You know, it's like you're building, you're building, um, like sort of skill capital here. Yeah. And Joe, yes, $299 US dollars, which for some of you might be even less in your local currency. 
Just don't tell the Canadians. So Su- Susan's asking, what about a Maverick chanter? Way, way better than the Maverick chanter. Oh, my God. Oh, way better than that. My goodness. No, I'm just kidding. Can you get the Maverick chanter in uh, Polly Pinko? Or does it have to be Blackwood? Because what you do is you just split the difference. You go the Polly Pinko Maverick, if it's available. I don't know anything about it. Uh, and then you go with the Tuna Clinic. I'm getting some inappropriate ways in my private chat about how you could better spend $299. Thank you, Tom, for that. <laughs> it's always Tom. It's always Tom. Yeah, yeah, it's always Tom. All right. So uh, now we'll open the floor up to questions. So go ahead in the chat. Your questions are the priority here. But we also have a lot of backlogged questions uh, from the dojo. Um, yes. And so let's get the ball rolling with a question. Let's see if Carl is on his toes today. Mm, Yesterday. This isn't really a question. I don't know how it ended up here, but I I somehow feel compelled to read it. I'm always always blown away on what great topics you choose for your faithful. This is perhaps one of my pet topics. Oh, we're talking about the email I sent yesterday. When you've been around as long as myself, you realize you got shortchanged. We didn't have the dojo and we didn't have Google. That's right. And that's the correct order to list them, like in terms of in- internet importance, dojo first, Google, distant second. Uh, we had, oh, I see. We're naming names in this. I have to be careful. I'm skimming now. We had, I'll just leave the name out. We had the He-Man school. If you were six one like me, a lot of other guys who played in bands... You played the He-Man reads. Be a man and play McAllister reads. Okay, see? I'm, I'm doing good here. Censorship. And I wanted to be like them. But of course, many years later, and by this time, time it was too late because I got old. Interesting. That These are not my words. I played my teacher's pipes, another name, uh, and the same light bulb went off. George said you had to play a firm read, but not hard. His definition of firm, of course, was finding a read with a sweet spot that you could find and maintain without over or under blowing. Keep knocking them dead. Oh, I know who this is. No wonder he named so many names. Uh, but there you go. So so the email I sent out was just talking about how basically if your bagpipes feel hard to play, all right, that's like thing number one that you have to address. How many people here struggle with their bagpipes? Anybody? Okay, we got to fix that. Bagpipe should be easy. Let me spell that for you. E-Z. E-Z for some of us, right? No, they should be easy. And if they're not, let's fix that. Uh, that let's fix that first and foremost, okay? Even if you're a beginner, Carl, tell me if you agree with this. Even as a beginner, your bagpipe should be feeling easy. The whole process. Sorry, what was the question? That was a question I'm, for you. I'm, 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 I'm completely distracted by it. By Barb in the chat. Um, even, um, well, Barb has a tendency to do that. But um, even as a beginner, your bagpipe should feel easy. I mean, your bagpipe should be so easy that you can play it for as long as you want at any point. Yeah. Like, yeah. why this, struggle with it? This is different than most people's experience. Agree? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I remember this, too. I mean, that was the whole point of my email is uh, I remember this. You know, I remember kind of embarrassing myself in front of Norman Gillis that time. And um, and I remember trying his pipes and just being blown away at like they were easier than anything I'd ever played in my life, probably. And who knows? I'm probably exaggerating for dramatic effect. But they were so easy to play. 
And, yeah. and, and here's the thing. They were so easy to play, but they still sounded more robust, way better, obviously really well in tune, super steady. They still sounded better than any hard instrument that I'd ever played, right? Um, and that variable is, is um, of your pipes being easy is so, so important. Uh, ben says, see, here, here we go. I've gone through the pipe maintenance lessons and I've got my set much better. However, I'm long overdue for a new bag. And not only do I have ooh, some sort of paralysis, ooh, that doesn't sound good, for which to get. Oh, choice paralysis. I got it. I thought it was a rare medical condition. Uh, I'm also pretty sure <laughs> I won't figure out tying in. Oh, see, okay. So here's what you do. Just buy a buy a ban standard Banatine synthetic bag and start there. That's what you do, right? So so you don't have to worry about tying it in. Like if there's any question that your bag is not airtight, that's the first thing that we should address. And um, if you're worried about tying in your bag, there's a magical course for that on the dojo. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yours truly. It's yeah. foolproof. I mean, y you got to have like three tools, and two of them are like a screwdriver. I mean, it's it's not difficult yeah. to tie in a bag on its own. Look at that beard. Then, if you if you've got a beard like that, you can tie in a bag, no problem, because that's an awesome beard. Yeah, you could use beard hair at least for your drone reads. Yeah, um, you know the other thing too, and I, I was thinking about putting together a little email today along these lines. Like, let's let's discuss the pros and cons. Okay, let's discuss the pros and cons of playing a hard read and your bagpipe being very hard to play. And then uh, versus playing an easy bagpipe that's easy to play. Let's discuss the pros and cons. All right. Uh, what are what's the pro? What are the pros of playing a bagpipe that's hard? And let's assume let's assume the bagpipe is immaculately maintained, which it probably isn't. But let's assume it's immaculately maintained and it's it's all the four questions have been answered and it's just a really hard setup. What are the up? What's the upside to that? Potential upsides. Uh, hit me in the chat. Ben says steadier tone. Uh, probably not because you're working so hard, but a hard read does like it does tend to mask blowing issues because the read is so hard. So if you can keep that thing going, uh, the steadiness and like the audible changes in pressure do tend to be masked slightly mm -hmm. with a harder read. That is one pro. So keep that in, in your mind. Um, and then, uh, and then Joe, Joe, same thing, less fluctuation. We're, that, we're talking about the same thing there. Sue says louder. Yes. So one upside of a harder read is it's louder. Now, is that always a benefit? No. So if you're looking for louder, it's a pro. But like, let's say you're in a band, right? And there's six people in your band. Five of them are playing medium reads. And now you're playing a super hard read. Is that actually a pro? Or would it be better to match the volume of the people around you, give or take, uh, rather than just be way louder than them? I remember this, you know, when I was young and strong, I would be like half the volume of the band when, when, in the old days. Like, you know, there would be three or four guys that blew huge reads when back when Oren Moore was in like grade three. And then there would be like seven or eight people that blew really wimpy reads, not because they're wimps, but just because they couldn't blow a read that big. And still make it through without mistakes and stuff. So, so like the three or four of us were radically out of balance with the rest of the group. So more volume is not always better. Sometimes could be. 
Um, it's it's a benefit for, as long as you don't you know make a mistake and then you're the very very loud mistake that everyone hears, or you cut out and then half mm-hmm. the volume goes away. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to have a perfect performance every time if you're louder than everyone else in your band. Yeah. Uh, Dave says louder and richer. Is a harder read richer than an easier read? Yes or no? At best, it's the same. And usually, I would think a harder read is less rich than an easier read. Uh, it could, at best, it could be about the same. If you're able to blow that super hard read actually at the sweet spot the whole time, physically, mm-hmm. uh, maybe. But I find that the easier reads, they tend to be more flexible. They, t- they tend to produce a more full quality of sound. And, um, you know, I, and I wouldn't mistake, I think one of the things I would say for lack of a better word, is the crackle. You do get a better crackle off a harder read. Like it's that sort of quality of a read that just uh, really kind of can punch you a little bit, which is kind of cool. That is maybe a pro, but I wouldn't say that um, it's richer. MQM says harmonics. Same thing as richness, really. And I would not say a harder read has more harmonics. Definitely not. Uh, Definitely not. And in that experience with Norman Gillis that I had was a perfect example. His read was almost literally capable of being played through one's nose, uh, but the sound of the instrument was far superior to mine, which had a hard read. Ken says very stable. So that that would be maybe a pro is a hard read tends not to change as much as an easier read. Vibrant sound. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Volume, stability. Bragging rights. That's a big pro. Definitely going to go on my chart. Oh, yeah. I, I play a really hard read. There's a good one. Very good. They, they tend to last longer. Sue says, I like this. This is a good one. Cla- uh, cl- not, I mean, easier to tune in a group, which is just a really weird one. Now, the reads do tend to mask blowing issues a bit better. So, like, at first glance, it might seem like it's easier to tune in a group. Uh, but at the same time, if everyone is struggling to blow their really hard instrument, Tuning tends to be a nightmare and doesn't actually tend to get easier. And that uh, often changes when you're actually on the field. Yeah. You get that ed- extra little boost of of, uh, of adrenaline, and then you're not uh, blowing the same as when you were tuning. Yeah, it, it tends to go one way or the other. So yeah. some people start to blow really hard under pressure, and then some people get afraid, and they start to blow really soft. It's one or the other. Uh, it's usually not right bang down the middle exactly at the same pressure you were tuned. <laughs> uh, and that happens at all levels, I can assure you. Um, so those are the pros. Last longer. Uh, the hard the reads last, last longer? longer? Maybe. It depends. I think, so. I, think, I think with good care and maintenance of a read, all reads should last a pretty good length of time. But okay, maybe. Uh, maybe that's a pro. So we have a list of... Uh, pros which is four or five items long okay now let's talk about the downsides of playing a hard read now okay go ahead hit me in the chat what are some of the downsides of playing a, a read that's too hard for you my point uh, is that it's going to be significantly more downside i think that's my prediction mqm says they are hard excellent downside of a hard read is that they're hard yes so they're very physically taxing. Good. They cause a death grip on the chanter because your body is like literally convulsing trying to keep the thing going. Yes. So 
Uh, so it causes your whole body to tense up trying to operate it, downside. Uh, ben also is with MQM on this one. Gen genius at work here. He says it's much harder. Susan says it's very tiring. John says a hard read usually interferes with good finger work. Gripping the chain too hard. Hard to blow steady. Sue says, uh, yeah, so it takes your focus away from playing music. That's totally. a con, but think about how major that is. Like, why do we play bagpipes? We play bagpipes to create music, right? But if we can't think about music because I read so hard, can everybody see how this is, this is a really heavily weighted downside of playing a hard read? You cannot do the reason that you play bagpipes with a hard read. That's a big problem, I think. Uh, cutouts, yeah, cutouts become a way higher risk. Bad posture, gripping channel. How about potential for injury? Glenn Brown, um, Glenn Brown had a massive, massive, um, and it took him like 18 months to get the surgeries in Scotland, and so he's right. I've, how many people have known another piper that got a hernia probably from piping? I do. I certainly have. <laughs> Yeah. So like potential for injury, very high. Like, Hey, what do you do for fun? Oh, I play bagpipes with a reed so hard that I've already given myself a hernia and I'm scheduled. Uh, yeah. So we don't want that. Uh, it's hard to play cleanly. A lot of people saying bad posture, it's miserable and you want to quit. Martha, that is a downside. Yes. Uh, fingers are less flexible. Yep. A lot of people are saying that Tom says you can't keep it at the sweet spot. So it tends to be less harmonic, right? Like, you go from trying to produce great tonal quality to just trying to keep the read going. There's a big difference in the quality of sound there. Chokes, tuning issues because they're way harder. It's interesting. One of my biggest downsides hasn't been mentioned yet. Uh, does not promote steady blowing. You sweat a lot more. If you play a high bag, that volume of sweat is very bad for it. There's a downside. Collapsed lung. I think you're being sarcastic there. That would be Makes you want to quit. That's obviously a downside. Uh, ben said, I thought we played to terrify enemies. Well, if that is what makes you happy, then the hard read is for you. Um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so Ken, it shifts your focus away from creating music, right? Steve's mesh is holding. Very nice. Uh, dissected some facial planes. I don't know what this means, but it sounds awful. In the back of his throat from the pressure. Um, yeah, you know what the biggest downside for me is of, of playing a read that's too hard is uh, excessive moisture accumulation. So the more air that you have to force through your instrument per, per minute, let's say, the more 100% hot humid air that you have to force through, the sooner condensation is going to form on the inside of your instrument. It's just like basic logic. So, so um, the harder read, more air is forced through it, moisture is going to accumulate far sooner than it would with an easy too. That's a big downside. So can everybody see how the upsides of playing a hard read aren't anywhere close to the downsides? Here's the other thing that's important to think about is if for some reason you still believe that playing a hard read is something that you want, okay, the way that you do that is by building up over time what you can do. All right. Yep. So so if you're not there yet, you shouldn't be, you should never be playing a read that's uncomfortable, even if it is hard. Like a good, a good actual example of that is when you play in a band like Inverary or SFU, right? The reads that you play for the average person would be considered very hard. 
Okay, but these are super experienced players uh, who practice a lot and who have worked up to that strength uh, to the point where when it comes time for the ultimate performance at the Worlds, the read might be hard, but nobody's struggling. Nobody's thinking about how hard their pipes are. And right. they're able to focus on the music because you've built up to that. Okay. And it gets back to the point that like hard is relative. You know, those reads are not hard for them. So in a way, you should never play hard read, a read that's hard for you. Yes. You need to pay a read that's comfortable. And it might be different strength for somebody else. It might be considered hard by the read manufacturers, for example, but it should never be hard for you. Yes, exactly right. Um, now, uh, breaking in reads. Let's, let's just talk about breaking in reads. Breaking in reads is a thing, but breaking in a read is talking about a 10% shift in strength, maybe, tops, okay, especially with modern reads. Okay, so in the first 10 hours of playing, what do we say? We don't say 10 hours anymore, Carl. What do we say? Five hours. Yeah, we say it changes the most. So, like, let's say, estimate here, 80% of the changes will happen in the first five hours. Yeah, and then, but that change will be, 10%. It's not going to be 50%. So you don't start with a read that's extremely difficult because yeah. it, it might get 10% less difficult, but that's still going to be way too hard. Okay. So if the read is slightly, very slightly out of your comfort zone at the beginning, that would be fine. But if it's significantly out of there, don't do it. Yeah. And the biggest reason we already we already pinpointed, the biggest reason is because it shifts all your focus away from music making. Um, and then for those who do feel lost on this and are really sick of your pipes being a struggle, um, that's the transition to the pipes course is a really, really good course. It's targeted to beginners, but it's you could be an advanced player and get a lot out of that course. I, I got a lot out of just assembling it. Like, oh, this makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, uh, the way that we do it and we build it up makes it easy. Which brings me to my next question, which is related. Has anyone here used a practice chanter goose? And do they think it was worth the investment? That's the next question, which is related. So what's a practice chanter goose? A practice chanter goose is just uh, a practice chanter that's hooked up to a simple bag with a blowpipe in it. Right? Um, and MQM said he did it in his youth and no, I've seen people, I've seen teachers use it with great success, I think, I guess, because they make a lot of good players. But uh, what's the point of doing that? The point of doing that is, is to get you used to the idea of blowing and squeezing um, in a really easy environment that doesn't require like any strength. Okay. So I, I think that's the concept there is good. The way that we do it at the dojo would be different and we would not really invest in the practice. Uh, yeah, it, it works fine and it can be kind of fun. Like one of the things about the goose that's cool is that it can be really fun to do. You just hook into the goose and you play your tunes um, and you have fun doing it. So let's not discount that. I think that has a lot of value. The way we do it at the dojo is probably less fun. Although I liked what uh, Stuart was saying which is that he just turns on his Game of Thrones when he's getting his drones dialed in, right? And he'll just watch his TV. But what we would do at the dojo is we would start with no reads going. And we would start with just blowing up your bagpipe and, and trying to get the posture set the way 
uh, that works for you. And then we would start with just one drone and just practice the blowing cycle, you know, for a long time. And, and we would introduce things one at a time so that the learning process never became like overwhelming or difficult. Uh, that's what we would do instead of using the goose. However, if you think the goose is cool and you have fun with it, by all means, I don't think, I don't think it can do any real damage. Maybe if you're squeezing with uh, your, your wrist instead of your elbow. And Jeffrey says, you know, there, there is a product, and I think it still exists, Jeffrey, um, where it's a little adapter between a normal bagpipe stock and your practice channer. That way you wouldn't have to have two different um, bags. And that works well, you know, other than the fact that you're dumping a bunch more moisture in your normal pipe bag. But as a beginner, I don't think that's really an issue. It can sort of prevent you from having to spend the same money twice on two bags. So yeah, those still exist. I think Gibson makes one, and I'm sure there's some people in the UK that make them. I think McCallum makes one too. Good. Do we have any questions in the chat? I thought I might have seen one come in. Yeah, there's a couple that passed by. I popped them in the um, Oh, you popped the them question in? Board. It looks like one question, but it's actually two. Carl says we can use a little soapy water to test for leaks. Every joint seems fine. I tried a bit of water on the curve of the neck and it started to bubble on a sheepskin. Would more seasoning fix this? Carl, take it away. Sure. So um, I would make sure that I test this after having played for a few minutes because one of the things that happens with sheeps is sometimes they get a little dried out. And in the first five or 10 minutes of playing, it can seal itself back up and be nothing to worry about. But if it is consistently bubbling a bit along the neck, it's totally normal. These bags are stitched. And so, um, you know, that happens. Now, that's the same purpose of why we season the bag, to fill up those tiny little holes. Um, and what I do in this case, Lou, instead of reseasoning the whole bag, it probably doesn't need it and you want to not avoid over-seasoning it, is just either puts a little bit of seasoning on a brush or, or pour it in so that it just runs along that seam right around the neck, force, you know, cork that bag back up, uh, put it under a lot of pressure, do the kneel test, and force that liquid um, seasoning out those pores. Let it bubble out for a little bit, and then let it cool off, and hopefully that will then congeal in that hole and mm -hmm. seal it up. So, yeah, a spot treatment would be my uh, preference there, as you suggest. Yeah, um, that's good. And a lot of people panic when they see little bubbles coming out of the seam, including a lot of people who I thought, like, wouldn't, but they do. But it's, uh, that's actually kind of what you want. Like if there is air leaking out, that's where we want seasoning to go. And it will set, Yeah. you know, so you, you do that, you get that seasoning in there. And then, you know, overnight that seasoning will set in there and you'll, you will, uh, the result will be an unbelievably tight seal. Yeah. Mine still leaks. I can't, I can't get mine to stop bubbling out of one spot, but it's no big deal. Um, usually the usually the pressure that we test our bag is far higher than the pressure that we actually play our bag with. Yeah, if that makes sense. Uh, especially for me, because I get on there and I kneel on it, and when I kneel on it, that's when the seasoning tends to. There's just one spot in my seam that keeps bubbling, um, pretty much no matter what I do. But it's usually the seasoning is usually far hotter than uh, the bag would ever be naturally while playing. Right. So it liquefies. Um, right. And also the pressure tends to be far more. So usually for playing, it's a 100% tight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, ooh, 
There's a new question in the chat. Yes. <laughs> I love I love this. Steve, I have great news for you. Steve, are you in the video down here somewhere or not? If you're not, don't feel pressure, but I just want to see your face light up with happiness when I tell you that, boy. Oh, is he coming on? Steve. Hey. I love I love this one. All right. Steve needs our support, people. He tried 25 times yesterday to record an assignment for fingering fundamentals. That's a lot of times. Uh, first two parts of Biddy, simple version. You get so frustrating trying to get a good rendition. I feel your pain. Uh, almost to the end. And then, whoops, a wrong note. Timing is off. Miss a great. Well, yeah, Miss a great note. This is, this is good. You're going to be, I'm so glad that you. Mr. Grace note. Finally gave up and walked away. Is it okay to send in a B minus grade rendition? Not only is it okay, but it's it's encouraged. Okay, so what did Steve do wrong here? It's very simple. He he broke the cardinal rule of recording that he probably didn't even know existed, but it's very important rule. Which is what? How many times should you record when you record yourself? Steve was just one recording short of the cardinal rule. You had to do 26. Yeah, 26 no, is the answer. So 26, that's the one. That's the one that's going to be perfect. Let me ask you, as you did each one, Steve, as you did each one, how many orders of magnitude better did it get each time you tried? It didn't get better at all, did it? Not really. Maybe the seventh one was like slightly better, right? But the golden rule about recording is that you do one take and whatever you get, you send it in. That's the golden rule. Now, the result, the result might be uh, that, that you get a B minus, okay? But that's kind of what we want to know because if we do it this way, we get a clear snapshot of how good we currently are with the current material that we're trying to record, okay? And that's all it should be. Um, and the reason why is because that's how real life works. So when I go perform somewhere, like at the world, like let's just use the world's because sadly, I think that was my most recent performance, the world's 2019, with, wow. the, exception, with the exception of the St. Patrick's Day parade around my neighborhood. That uh, you were the only one for. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, it, let's say it's the world's, right? And, and I fire up and in the first line, I make a giant mistake at the world's. Is it cool if I just like stop just, the band? Just raise your hand. Just raise my hand and I like judges. Let me try that one again. I know I can get it. Just let me try it again. So and we back the band up and we do it again. Uh, that's not how it works in real life, right? Like performance of any kind is one and done, right? And, and so we can use the recorder to teach us how to uh, – function in this type of environment and it's really hard and guess what the number one most difficult thing is about performance it's it's dealing the number one most difficult thing is dealing with imperfection as it happens and trying to make the best performance come out as a result right like i don't think i mean i'm i'm awesome so i can only think of like seven or eight perfect performances that i've had with absolutely zero imperfection I'm just kidding, of course. There's no such thing, right? No such thing. All performances have imperfection. And what we can do by using the recorder in the right way is 
you know, learn from these bad things as they happen. So like some of the things that you were talking about, Steve, like uh, almost to the end, but whoops, you had a wrong note. Okay. Send it in with the wrong note. No one is going to kick you off the dojo. We need you. So uh, we're not going to kick you off and we're probably even going to be nice to you. Um, And then, uh, but then what have you learned from that experience? Well, you've learned that when the pressure is on, uh, I need to be extra careful not to lose focus right at the very end. And I've got to try to keep my focus all the way to the end. That is a lesson I've had to learn the hard way many, many, many times. And I'm pretty sure Carl has too. Oh, yeah. Uh, And uh, basically any any performance uh, musician or athlete of any kind has had to learn that. How many... Times have you seen your favorite professional sports team blow the game at the end? Happens all the time, right? Oh, so yeah. that's that's just a lesson about performance that we can learn if we obey the one take rule of the record, right? And and you're going to be in a better mental state. I mean, 25 is a huge number, and and you could have actually just done one, and then spent the rest of the time maybe practicing. Oh, the last part, if you needed more repetitions for tomorrow's recording, for example, or right, it would have been a much better use of time to have just done one say, you know, Oh, Oh, well, you know, it wasn't my best, but it was my best for this example and uh, take away a couple lessons from it and just work on that for the other 24 times. The other thing, here's the other thing too, is uh, what we know as people who teach a lot, is usually what you think your problem is, is not your problem. So for example, let's say you get all the way to the end of Biddy from Sligo and you have a mistake and you're all bent out of shape about it. Uh, but then the feedback's going to come back and it's going to say, hang on a second. Let's, let's, let's forget about that mistake and let's talk about the rhythm not being accurate or your grace notes being really big or whatever. And like you could get that feedback with that B minus performance. Um, and so, you know, yeah. You don't need to do it 25 times. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to let it go. So anyway, Steve, thank you for that. That's a constant reminder. How many people know the one take rule and secretly don't actually obey it? Interesting. (laughs) I don't think anyone's going to own up to that. Right. Exactly. So it's something we need a constant, something we need a constant reminder of. Um, Another, you know, it's, it's just, and it doesn't get better. I think the rule would be different. If, if you were getting significantly better each attempt, but that's not what happens. What happens is you, what happens is you get a perfect bell curve each time you play. Right. So there's like a, you know, the, the golden bell curve and there's like a, there's an average and then all of the performances fall in a bell curve on either side of that average. Some of them come out epically bad. Those are outliers on the bad side. Some of them come out, epically good but those are outliers they don't represent how good you actually are right and then the rest of them fall within that one standard deviation from the mean right yeah and that's just what it is so with recording you know prepare yourself to do the best that you can and then that's your new benchmark and the next day maybe you know and the next day won't be one percent better but it'll be somewhere underneath that bell curve hopefully slightly you know, and hopefully over time, the bell curve moves slow. And, and I think Sue's right and others who have said this, right? The the chances that the third or fourth or fifth is going to be any better are so slim. And it almost always, always gets worse because you get frustrated. And I know when I get frustrated, nothing comes out good. 
So yeah, it's just not set. worth it. So <laughs> it's just so not worth it. Um, and it's, it's interesting too. And then like, think about the downside of what happens in the perfect world. So on the seventh attempt, an hour later, you get an amazing, it, boy, is it great. And you send that performance in. Okay. And you get a really good grade on it. Well, now your, now your expectations of how good you should be are now unrealistically high. Okay. And uh, the likelihood that you're going to achieve that again, as, as I was just saying, the likelihood that you're going to achieve that again is low. So now you're setting yourself up for future disappointment by kind of cheating, by trying to cheat reality. And instead of doing that, all we have to do, it's really, really, really easy, is just check, check our ego at the door, do one take, send it in. Easy. Hard, but easy. Hard, but easy. Um, and then what I would recommend doing, especially if you're, uh, you know, a competing piper, let's say, is practice, not, don't just record yourself, but practice uh, the art of preparation as well. So at least once a week, a great exercise is to say, okay, I'm going to play my P-Brock at 7.25 p.m. tonight, which means I got to get the pipes out at 6.25, I got to blow them for five to 10 minutes, get them acclimatized, set them down. And then, you know, uh, and then during the buildup to that 7.25 uh, start time, you can do as many reps as you'd like or warm up in whatever you think is the most effective way. Then push the button at exactly the right time uh, and then send that recording out for feedback. And what you did there is you just gave yourself a huge advantage when the real competition rolls around. Because yeah. you you practice you didn't just practice the art of performance, but you practice the art of preparation as well. Preparation, um, being on time, being ready to play your best at a specific time that is out of your control in most cases. How many people have gone to the Highland Games, warmed up for way too long, and then they were just exhausted when they actually played and did not get their best performance? Right. Yeah. If that hasn't happened to you, it will. Uh, you know, and uh, it's a classic example of, and then it's a classic example of if you had practiced preparation, you would know, like, oh man, I was just too tired there. So I need to figure out how, how to make my warm up shorter and sweeter. Yeah. And also, you, you, if you practice this, you realize that you need like six minutes to warm up and not 15 or 20. <laughs> um, um, we have a couple of other good questions I think we okay. should get to. Let's have them. So here's, here's one from Ben saying, um, one more question on the bag selection. I think I'd go with a hybrid, but any strong feelings on a zipper or no zipper? I've lasted this long without one. Uh, well, I think all synthetic bags come with zipper now, right? Yeah, the hybrids anyway. I mean, it's maybe possible to find one without it, but you're probably going to wait longer on a special order. If you're serious about bagpipes, this if you're serious about being a bagpiper, and this is like one of your major hobbies, one of the best things you can do is to purchase another set of stocks and have another bag ready to go. And they don't have to be beautiful stocks, like especially in this case. So what I would advocate is like, let's say you believe in a hide bag like I do, right? I believe in a hide bag, uh, but sometimes bad things happen, like you let the hide bag get dried out but then you have a gig coming up thing, right? Or sometimes the bag dies at, at, at an inopportune moment. 
boy, it's really nice to have another set of stocks with a simple synthetic bag tied onto them as a backup. Um, and that would be like, that would be the perfect scenario here. It's like, what do I do? Well, I would just go over like a super inexpensive standard Bannatine like I have, uh, I, I've got on my, on my sort of uh, teaching pipe upstairs. Um, and it just holds air no matter what. And it's super simple and it's ready to go if I need it. And I, I might have to change some hemp, but I could fit my nails in those stocks. Um, I could fit my McCallum drones in those stocks. And, and so to just have an extra set of stocks around that you can use, I actually have several sets of stocks that I can use. Um, it can be so, so handy. The other thing I did in 2019 was I tied in a new sheepskin bag, but I didn't get rid of the old one because the old one was still functioning. It was just starting to get old. So I tied in the new stocks and um, on, on, or sorry, I tied in a new bag on different stocks. Um, and so when the timing was right, I just, I, I migrated my system stocks, but that can be a really handy trick here. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'd recommend. So to answer his question, yes, to try to answer zipper, Ben's, I mean, yeah, go for the zipper on the synthetic. Doesn't, yeah. It doesn't really matter. It is another possible point of failure, but if you're going for a hybrid brag anyway, don't worry about it. Because mm-hmm. it tends to work. Yeah. yeah, it tends to. I and might then, skip the hybrid bag. Like I actually, with the exception of starts and stops, I like the flimsier. If you're going to play synthetic, I I kind of like the flexible feeling of that thin one. You know, I'm kind of into it. That that's a new one. <laughs> kind of like saves you. It saves you like a hundred bucks. Sort of. But uh, it won't save you a hundred bucks when the pipes go tumbling backwards over your shoulder because they're you know you know what i uh i i think you're entitled to your opinion that's what I think. all right what else we got what else there we was got? An, another good question here which is i currently have a set of nail pipes um and i would like to buy a second set and i've been looking at wallace and mccray pipes they sound similar that that's the end McCray of the question. pipes what, what are mccray pipes again oh I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah the duncan mccray from mccallum's mccallum got it got it got it um so yes, so what's the second set for? And if they sound the same, why? Joe says get vintage pipes. Uh, I mean, sure, if you want to work harder. It, it, it all depends, right? I mean, if the second set is just for the occasional gig having a spare set, don't spend a ton of money on it. Get whatever. Get a new set. If it's going to become your replacement pipe um for solos well i I suppose you can explore the vintage route though be honest most vintage pipes are more work and harder to get set up than than a new set and at the end of the day get a set that you can hear that you like what the sound sounds like now if you can't tell the difference between wallace or mccray or nail Go with the one you know. Get another set of nails. Or, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, if you're asking if Wallace and McCray pipes are good, they definitely are. Yeah, they're fine. Um, and then from there, you just have to decide what you want. For example, I would never, pro- and, and uh, never is maybe a strong word, but I, I wouldn't buy a vintage set of pipes uh, just because that's not the type of player I am. Like, I'm the type of guy who whose pipes take a beating. They get kind of like tossed around and they get played in the pouring rain and 
Northern Ireland and they, uh, yeah. you know, they get thrown up, thrown around on airplane, you know, not to mention all the times I throw them across the room in frustration. So, uh, so I'm probably not going to buy the vintage pipes. I love the nails. Like I've got nail DN force or whatever. And I might even, if I bought another set, it might be more nails, but maybe without the silver on them. Cause I yeah. don't, cause I don't polish the silver. So that it starts to look kind of cruddy. I'd be a big, a big advocate uh, of you not having. <laughs> yeah. Then, then Carl's got to, then Carl's got to fly to New York and shine my pipes for me. And nobody. Jeez, uh, yeah. I got to, I, I used to be tasked with polishing the pipe majors pipes before the world's every year. Well, and, I mean, uh, no, you tasked yourself. You didn't want, I think you were so disgusted by them that you, <laughs> that I didn't you, want uh, you volunteered. representing the band <laughs> because the camera's always on you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Those were the, I don't know, not good old days, but those were the old days. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I have a set of... It was like, it was, there was a band with great tone in the Eastern United States and then just kind of hell opened up and tried to, <laughs> but I have, I have a set of um, vintage pipes, a set of 1910 Hendersons or so, something like that. They're around that age and they're great and they sound fabulous and they take 22 minutes to get stable and in tune instead of my nails, which take like six. Is the sound quality better? Maybe a little, but uh yeah, I mean, they take a long time to get settled for whatever reason. They're never really quite super, super stable either. The I think the the, the Sue says the pipe major in one of the bands you play in ha, has handmade pipes that are the sweetest, most beautiful sound ever. Um, and it's true. I think the bagpipe can have some effect on the sound, but I'm telling you. Uh, it's ninety five percent. Like the, what makes that sound beautiful and sweet is ninety five percent what the player is doing with the instrument, not the instrument itself. It's the same with a camera, right? If you give a great photographer, uh, maybe not forty dollar camera, but if you give a great photographer a five hundred dollar camera, and you give me a five thousand dollar camera, who's going to take better pictures? <laughs> It's not going to be me, right? It's going to be the person who really understands how to like get the most out of a camera. Um, and that's like, you know, it's the same with the pipes. And then once you get to a really high level, it can be fun to try different sets of pipes to see if there's any difference for you in there. But sometimes even you won't know because let's say the easy drones you use in one are five years older than the easy drones you use in the new one. And the sound is maybe not exactly the same. Because of the reeds, though, not because of the pipes. And it could be the the type of bag you're using is different or older or newer. Or it yeah. could be the chanter is a different model. Or it could be the kitty litter you use from uh, IMS instead of uh, very Smart. Very few pipers ever do a one-to-one comparison of their pipes. I mean, just as Andrew's saying, they're like, it's super, super rare. And I bet the vast majority of pipers have never done anything resembling a moderately scientific examination of the sound so between one and another. Like yeah. there's so many variables. And so, yeah. And then Matthew, I, I think I agree, right there. I think there is definitely something to be said for buying something that you like, that's going to help motivate you to play. 
right? I think that's that's true. Just don't break the bank. <laughs> uh, yeah, one hundred percent. Like if if a legacy set is something that really excites you, like you love the thought of playing an instrument that was played in the First World War or something like that, like yeah. go for it, man, do it because that's gonna that's gonna make you play every day, and it's yeah. gonna make you uh, and it's gonna make you. Um, you know, want to try all the different reads and it's going to make you really try and hit that sweet spot. You know, like, you know, although I can almost guarantee in during World War One battles, the Piper's probably not hitting the sweet spot because it's like, <laughs> you know, too much, too much uh, else going on. I don't on. think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or although maybe it was just, or maybe you would, maybe it, they were hitting it. Maybe that's how, uh, as someone said earlier, how you ins- uh, put fear in the hearts of your enemies. Um, but yeah, like do, that's a great point. It really is. And, um, if it excites you, go for it because that's the secret sauce, isn't it? It just doesn't, it, for me, that's not what excites me at all. Like what excites me is, you know, uh, we're working on my tunes and, you know, getting ready to travel and integrate with top bands and, you know, potentially play a nice P-Brock or something. So like, I just want an instrument that helps me achieve that. Um, and I don't actually get excited, but some people do. So if, if you know what excites you, go for it. There exactly. Bert says having multiple pipes excites her. Yeah. Like that's definitely true. Like some people love playing because whenever they walk into the practice room, they get the selection of five or six instruments to play. <laughs> I like that. I, I love, people, I just want to point this out. I've been, watching people's backgrounds with all the videos on here. And I love the fact that Dave out there has a manometer in the background. There you go. That is has a manometer exciting. In the Two in the background. Oh, wow, I thought look at that, that was just, I thought that was just a green screen, but no, those are real manometers. Those are real folks. manometers. There you go. That's dedication guys. It's not a green screen manometer. He, it's also, a real has one. His, um, <laughs> he also has his freedom intensive book. He showed me yesterday. It arrived. Ooh, in the mail. I don't even have mine yet. That. I wrote it. I don't even have one. Yeah. What do you think? Do you like the book? Have you, have you finished reading it? Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. So uh, very nice. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it for today's show. Oh, Tony's got her book too. I saw it there briefly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. Excellent. Glad. 265 pages of bagpipe bliss. Um, okay. Very good. Nice job this week, everybody. Looking forward to some 2-4 marches next week. And, uh, yeah, some terlulas, some exciting, scary embellishments, some rhythm. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah. So there uh, there, that's a great point. Uh, I, I'm going to cancel my class on Monday as well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my class is canceled already. Um, yeah, so yeah, the tuning <laughs> clinic is happening all weekend. Plus, I believe it's Rosh Hashanah on Monday. So. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Which may not mean much to you guys, but my daughter has a day off school. Tony, where do we log in for the tuning clinic? That email will go out shortly if it hasn't already. It hasn't yet because I, I like to wait until people tend not to open emails. They get at five in the morning. So. Ah. Uh, That's why everyone ignores me. (laughs) I will send it now. (laughs) It's very simple, though. It's very simple. It's just one link, and the whole weekend should happen inside that room. Yeah. So it's it should be pretty pretty easy. I think 
famous last words. Yep. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.